I just thank him for who he is and for what he has uh, done. My name is Anthony Burton. I am a lead pastor here at Bridge Church, and I want to welcome you uh, this morning. Uh, we're in the middle of uh, studying the journey. We're calling it Journey 2020. And we are journeying through the scriptures uh, uh, this year of 2020 from start to finish. And everything that we do is centered around uh, reading the scripture uh, together. I love the song uh, because it is a declaration of who God is at his essence and at his core when you talk about God uh, being good. One of the things we, with regard to journey, we, are, we finished uh, the book of Genesis this week if you're reading along with us. And if you haven't been reading along with us, it's okay. You don't have to catch up. You can jump in right in the middle of where we are. I guess next week we start, today we start Exodus. Tomorrow we start Exodus. So today was the last few chapters of Genesis. I love Genesis because Genesis is like rich. It's, it's just like thick and heavy. There's so much there uh, in Genesis. It's like uh, theologically, there is so much uh, in Genesis, and I love theology. I don't get to practice it the way that uh, I would necessarily like to because I sort of left the academic portion behind for a spell, uh, but I love theology, and Genesis in particular is rich in theology, and much of what you consider uh, theologically uh, with regard to all things starts in Genesis. And so how uh, some of the conclusions that you come to about who God is start in Genesis. And so I love the book of Genesis. I love that it's rich in theology. Uh, this week's reading in particular was like really heavy. There was a lot there uh, from the incident that uh, John talked about with Judah and Tamar and uh, she becoming pregnant by him to uh, the episode with Dana and uh, her brothers avenging uh, her and going in and slaughtering a whole village uh, is what, um, was it Simeon and Levi that went in and did that? And then you've got Reuben, he sleeps with his dad's wife, and like it's just a lot there. There's a lot of human stories, nothing gets hidden from us in terms of, uh, in terms of how um, just like we're people and people mess up and do uh, crazy bad kinds of things. All of these things are not hidden from us in the scriptures. They are there. It's rich theologically though and, I, and as I said before I love theology. The thing about the, like theology literally means the knowledge of God. That's what it literally means. Knowledge of God. And uh, the book of John tells us that eternal life is to know God. Like, this is eternal life, our knowledge of him, understanding who he is at his core. This is why I love the song, Lord, you are good, because it speaks to who he is. And when we understand who he is at his core, it begins to shape and frame us and who we are. And so it's, it's good, like, it's good to 
to praise and it's good to uh, give thanks, but it's also good to know him. Uh, all of these have equal weight in terms of our uh, relationship with God. We got to know him. We have to praise him. We have to worship him. But sometimes uh, we get people who are so bent on theology, right? They don't know how to praise. And then you get people who are so, uh, their, their disposition is praise and worship, and they don't really know him. And this is why the scripture commands us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Both are equally necessary in terms, again, of our relationship with God. Now, if you have the reading plan, you know that the heading for this month's readings says God is in control of everything, right? And if you've sort of been paying close attention to the preaching, you will note uh, that the first Sunday, we really focused in on how God is in control of creation, uh, how the next week God is in control of our lives and and things that's happening uh, with our lives. Uh, Last week, we talked about how God is in control of history, and it is his story, and how we see that Christ is even at the beginning as well as uh, the end, and the whole book is centered on Jesus Christ. It is his story. Well, today we're going to talk about something that is uh, going to be a little difficult, I think, to to talk about. It's going to be heavy and and I'm glad that we had an upbeat song because by the time I'm done, you may not feel as good as you did uh, five minutes ago, but that's okay. I'm going to try and keep it as light as possible. But, but this is what I want to talk about today, that God is even in control over evil. That he's even in control over uh, evil. Everything does according to his will, whether it is allowed or whether it is decreed. It does, in my mind, there's much little difference uh, that everything is according to the will of God. God is sovereign. You've heard me say this a number of times. Well, what does it mean? Put the definition. Uh, God's ownership of all things that he is in control and there is nothing outside of his will. That is what it means for him. Like he's ultimately sovereign. Right? He has a sovereignty that is above and beyond anything that you and I could ever uh, understand in terms of sovereignty. Like we, we can't have the level of sovereignty that God has. But not only is he sovereign, here's something else that God uh, has that we Uh, Don't talk much about, but I think it's it's equally important. Uh, God is providential. What do I mean when I say that he has providence? God preserves and governs all things uh, subsequent to having made them. It is the outworking of God's eternal plan and time in relationship to the world he has made. In other words... Not only is he Lord over it, meaning that 
uh, he owns it, but also he controls it. He watches over it. He moves it. He's providential over it. (laughs) Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. And Jesus is talking there specifically about how we don't have to worry about things because God is in control. He has it. There is not an animal that falls to the ground dead apart from God. He is in control. Now, before we go too far, let me lay some ground, some ground rules here. Because I know, like, your mind gets to spinning and things get to, get to whirling. It's like, all right, what is he really talking about? Well, let me, let me lay some ground rules with regard to his sovereignty and his providence. Because these are things that we tend to think of in absolute terms with regard to God, but it can become problematic when we factor in certain things with his sovereignty and his providence. Things like evil, things like people's choices, like how do these things all fit in with regard to God and his sovereignty and his providence. Uh, People want, you want to avoid You want to avoid assigning blame to God for evil, even though he's sovereign and providential, right? You also want to uh, avoid people being robots, right? That's not what we are trying to uh, say. You also want to avoid God seeming powerless in the face of things that are happening, right? So you don't want... uh, for things to just happen and then step back and say, well, God has no control over these things. See, for me, it is more um, comforting to know that things are in his hands and he has control of uh, those things. The question, how does he grant free agency, meaning my ability to choose, and remain sovereign and providential. Now, there are a lot of theories about it. Some go too far, right? Some don't go far enough. Most are conjecture (laughs) because the scriptures don't necessarily speak to the issue directly. Uh, It's mainly mysterious in a lot of ways. How is it that I can commit evil or good in my choices, and God is sovereign and providential in all that he is, and the two work together. Because God's will be done. How does it happen? And when I say that it is a mystery, uh, look at Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this 
law. There are certain things within the annals, annals of God's mind uh, alone, and only he knows uh, how these things uh, are to act and to operate. And when we try to delve into mysterious things and things that haven't been revealed to try and understand God, we end up going too far one way or another. Then people become robots, or God becomes, takes the blame uh, for things, choices that you and I make. Uh, there are some things that are secret and are meant to remain secret, and the things that God has revealed are for us. So what are some of the things that God has revealed? And I'm really, I'm getting to this idea that he is, he's sovereign and he is providential and uh, we have real choices and there's real evil in the world, right? God in his essence is good and holy. Like we know this from the scriptures. We have no doubts about it. In his essence, he is good and he is holy. Nothing happens apart from his will. I can cast the lot, but God determines the outcome. God has created more agents with the ability to choose. So you and I are moral agents, meaning that we can choose good and evil. We have that choice set before us every day, all the time. Uh, these agents are culpable for their actions, meaning that God can hold you accountable for the choices that you make, right or wrong, good or bad. And then finally, the ultimate purpose of all things are to bring glory to God. This is the ultimate purpose of all things, regardless of what they are. Evil and purveyors of evil exist and are allowed ultimately for God's good purposes and his glory. May I say it again? Evil and purveyors of evil exist and are allowed to do what they do ultimately for God's good purposes and for his glory. And there's no better example of this than the end of our reading, which is the story of Joseph. And we see specifically how this sort of interweaving of God's sovereignty and his providence and evil and choices that people make how it all comes together, and God shows us how he works these things out in uh, his goodness and in his uh, glory. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 50, and I'm going to read verse 15 through 21. I guess we don't have to turn anymore. Like, we either got it on our phones or we, we're putting it up on the screen. So, like, click to on your Bible app. If you got your Bible app, Genesis chapter 50. Uh, hopefully you were able to keep up with us uh, in the reading today. Uh, if you grew up in church, you came across the passage where it said, um, I think it was between uh, Jacob and Laban, and they gave the oath, may the Lord watch between you and me, 
Well, hopefully you realize that's not a good thing that they were, they were doing and it's not uh, sort of a traditional benediction that we should be uh, about. I just thought about that. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15 through 21. And it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave the command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin. <laughs> they just... They're lying right now. Because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they, came, uh, when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, the story of Joseph. Joseph, uh, he is his father's favorite, and his father gives him this coat of many colors, right? And his brothers are jealous, and Joseph has this dream that essentially his brothers are going to be bowing down before him. And he goes and he tells his brothers what's his dream, what his dream is all about, and they don't want anything to do with it. They get fed up with him, and while they're out in the fields, essentially uh, they throw him in a pit and sell him. Uh, into slavery uh, to the Egyptians. Uh, Joseph goes uh, into Egypt. Uh, he's a servant to Potiphar, and everything that he does, he prospers in it. Potiphar sees that he's prosperous in everything, and so uh, Potiphar gives him more and more control over his house and decision-making. He kind of rises to prominence in Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife tries to get at Joseph. And Joseph runs, right? He flees. He gets away as quickly as possible. And as he's running, uh, his, his uh, whatever he has on uh, comes off, and she has it in her hand, and she goes to Potiphar. She's jealous. She's upset. She's angry because Joseph uh, has not uh, agreed to be with her, and yet uh, she wants it. So she, tell Pot she tells Potiphar, her husband, look, he tried to come on to me. I got this to prove it. He puts him in jail, stays in jail for a long time. He has, uh, uh, while he's down there, a couple of fellows had some dreams. He interprets the dreams for them. Well, when the, when the cupbearer gets out of prison and goes back to work for Pharaoh, Pharaoh has a dream, and Pharaoh uh, can't find anybody to interpret the dream. And the cupbearer remembers that Joseph interpreted his dream for him, and tells Pharaoh about Joseph. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, and then Joseph begins to rise to prominence in Egypt to the point where he is second in command. Now, he is uh, second in command 
and he uh, has risen to power, but it is because a famine is coming, and because the famine is coming, Joseph, through Pharaoh's dream, has warned Pharaoh to store up for uh, this time that is coming so that there may be food for all of Egypt, and they're going to sell it, and they start commanding the people to give 20% of their harvest to the Egyptian government. All right, you got me. So now we get down to this part, and Joseph's brothers need food, uh, and Jacob sends them to Egypt to get it. And when they get to Egypt, just like uh, Joseph's dream, they, they're bowing down to Joseph. And Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, Joseph's life uh, is mirrors and is more like Christ's life than anyone else in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, I've, I've put down some ways in which uh, he serves as a type of Christ. He is beloved of his father. Uh, he hates, uh, he is hated by uh, his brother, brothers, by uh, the leaders of Israel. So was uh, Jesus. Uh, Jesus came to his own and they did not receive him. He was betrayed by his brothers and sold for 20 pieces of silver. If you remember, Jesus was betrayed by his brother and sold for 20 pieces of silver. He was falsely accused and suffered. Remember, Christ was uh, brought up on trumped-up charges, and they put him on a trial in the middle of the night, and then they accused him as guilty. He was, here, here's something I really like, he was brought low, and then he ascended to the right hand of power. Now, Jesus comes out of the heavenly places, humble, to the low places, and then he ascends to the right hand of majesty uh, to proclaim all power. And then, lastly, through him, redemption was offered uh, to the world. This is Joseph, and this is Christ. And so you kind of see how uh, Joseph is a type of Christ. Now, redemption, this last point. Redemption is the key. And we've kind of got the privilege of seeing all of Joseph's story uh, together. So we see the beginning and we see the end. We not just see how they did uh, wrong to him, but we see how redemption comes about and things are able uh, to be righted uh, that were that was wrong. Now Joseph himself, like he sees the redeeming quality of what he has gone through. And it's not just that he's got lots of stuff and kids and all of this and that. He says specifically uh, in the verse, the last verse that we read, he says, uh, am I in a place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So he understands that the role that the evil his brothers played in all of this ultimately was for him to be able to be in position to provide salvation to the world. Like this is the redeeming quality that Joseph finds in all of this. It's not that Joseph has 
stuff, right, is the fact that he is able to keep many people alive. And he gets it even before chapter 50, because if you rewind to chapter 45, verses 5 through 8, Joseph says this, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it, is, uh, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. It's, it's not that his life turned out so great. It is the fact that he is able to be put in position to save lives that he sees the redeeming quality of the evil that they perpetrated. Now, again, we have the whole story. Too often when we're in the midst of it, like you can't see it. You don't know what the redeeming quality is. You don't know why it is that God has allowed this thing to happen to me or uh, this person to uh, be toward me how they are being. Here's my first point. Everything, good or evil, serves a purpose. Everything, good or evil, serves a purpose. I posted the question on Facebook yesterday. Is everything that happens in this world serve a purpose? Like, well, you can't just say that. You have to back that up with Scripture. So Proverbs 16 and 4 says, The Lord has made everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. That's a hard verse. <laughs> That's a tough one. That's a tough one. God has made everything, everything in his providence and in his sovereignty. Uh, everything serves a purpose, even if it is for his glory alone. Because the day of disaster will be for his glory as well. Just as the birds don't fall to the ground and every hair on your head is numbered, the providence of God perfectly governs and moves all things to his good purpose and his glory. That's what it's for. Now, there may be some redeeming quality that you get out of it immediately, but ultimately, the redemption is in his glory and in his purpose. Isaiah 48, 10 through 11 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you, in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake I do it. 
For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. In other words, you're going through what you're going through, Israel, because it is for my name's sake and my glory. God, could you imagine having suffered and gone through it all the while? When you get to heaven, you ask God, why didn't you let it go? Why did you let this happen to me? Why did I go through this? This is for my glory, for my name's sake. You'll be just like Job. Okay. Just like Job. He says, who is this who darkens my counsel without wisdom? I'm sorry. I did not know that you are, you're too wonderful, right? You're you're, you're too much for me to really understand and to comprehend. God not only determines his purpose, but he actually makes it come about. Everything has a purpose. And that purpose is set in God and God alone. All right. Here's my next point. Evil makes redemption possible. Evil makes redemption possible. Things cannot be made right unless they are wrong. Uh, I once uh, once had a gentleman tell me that uh, early on in my ministry life, I like to avoid conflict. Ain't nobody likes conflict. And I had a gentleman who was a deacon at the church that I was at who told me that he loves conflict. He invites it and he, he embraces it. It's like, why? This is because it gives him an opportunity. And he says, uh, specifically, an opportunity to positively impact someone's life as a re- from a result of the conflict. I was like, that's a hard lesson to learn. But I began to, like, that, that sort of shaped my thinking. I began to embrace some things with regard, like, conflict is okay because then it gives me the opportunity to redeem the situation and the circumstance and to uh, give God glory in the circumstance by being who Christ has called me to be in the situation. Uh, Uh, Even Christ himself could not save the world without the actions of evil men specifically. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. This one will blow your mind. Men of Israel, hear the words. Hear these words. This is Peter talking. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, look at what he says, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of who? Of God. And then he says, you, you, you killed him. He was, uh, he was delivered up according to the plan and foreknowledge of God, but you crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Could you imagine? Like, like what? Like, who, who's responsible here, Peter? Is it us or is it God? Like, God knew it. 
It was part of his plan. He knew it beforehand, moved everything accordingly so that it would happen exactly the way it had been prophesied thousands of years before, time and time and time and time again. And then when you get to the moment, he says he was crucified at the hands of lawless men, evil and wicked men. And so it was, it was it's necessary, is the point that I'm making, in order for God's purposes to be accomplished and for redemption to take place. And so that we understand out of the things that are done that are evil, good is coming and God will use them for our good and for his glory. And so like... Uh, I need to qualify. We talked about, we said that God uses it for his good purposes and for his glory. But he also tells us in Romans 8 with regard to the believer that all things, that's the promise that you have. All things work together for good who love him and are called according to his purpose. Whether good, whether evil, whether benign, doesn't matter. They're going to work together for our good. Evil makes redemption possible. We wouldn't know the goodness of God and his glory if he did not have to redeem us. Why does he allow sin to enter into the world and for Adam to do what they did? So that his goodness can be shown. So that his mercy can be shown. So that his love can be shown. That regardless of the fact that he is holy, right? Completely other, completely separate from our sinfulness, and he would descend from on high and show us love like none other. It's only, you would not know the love of God if it was not for him allowing evil into the world. All right, here's my last point. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What do you mean, preacher, when you say that? God has positioned his people to be redeemers. Uh, redemption requires action. I want you to listen to me very carefully in what I am saying here. Here's the part that I hope you didn't miss about the story of Joseph. Joseph had been brought to the lowest of low points in prison. And God redeems Joseph out of his circumstance by interpreting the dreams for him. God brings him up out of those circumstances and he raises him to the highest levels in Egypt. And as a result, instead of Joseph being vindictive and and being bitter and being angry and wanting to get back at his brothers for the evil that they committed on him, Joseph himself then turns and redeems his people. As a matter of fact, he's able to offer redemption to the entire world. His brothers specifically coming into the picture sort of bring a clarity and bring full circle and full understanding about the entire circumstance and situation that he has gone through. Like, like Joseph begins to realize once they come into the picture, oh, 
this is why you've got me in this position. This is why you did what you did. Even though he, he has set aside uh, the food and the grain and everything for the, like the whole earth, right? But the brothers in particular, he begins to see, oh, God put me here in order that I might uh, be in a position to save the whole world. We too have been redeemed. What is it that God requires of us out of our own redemption? Micah 6 8 says, has he, uh, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. There is a reason when disaster happens, when things strike in this world that Christians should be the first ones on the scene. That we should be sending missionaries on the scene. That we should be engaged in hospitals and education and all of these different things that we should be about redeeming back to God because God has redeemed us. We ought to be concerned about the homeless. We ought to be concerned about those who've been trafficked. We ought to be concerned about orphans. We ought to be concerned about all of these different injustices that we find in the world. We ought to be about redeeming those things back to God and making things that are wrong right. That is the challenge for the believer, that we exist in this world. What God has given us in terms of our salvation is to go into the world and to, to tell the world that we have been redeemed by God. What better circumstance or situation when somebody's at their lowest point do we have than to go in in those moments and to share Christ with them. We are the hands. We are the heart. We are the feet. We are the head. We are the love of Christ. Looking and employing the world to know the redemption that is only found in him. This is kind of the I'll tell you guys, like I'll open up. There are some things that I look at in the world and I can't really understand why things are the way that they are. Right? I'm, I'm looking at evil. You're staring in the face of evil and you don't perceive a purpose or a reason for these things being the way that they are. And I could have easily like just chose some, something, whatever that thing might be. I could have just chosen it and said, okay, look how God has used this thing to bring about good. Even if I wasn't completely honest in my own mind about really seeing good in that thing. Like, I could have done that, right? And this was sort of my struggle as I went through this. And I, I said to myself, well, really, the challenge is not to necessarily figure out why God is doing what he's doing, the challenge is for us to go in the face of the evil and the injustice and all that we see in the world and to be who God has called us and made us to be, to be Joseph's, right? to be Christ in the world. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, 
because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How do we know? I just told you, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Don't waste the time that we've got asking questions like, why, Lord, why, Lord, why, Lord? Do something. Be something. Who he has called us to be. What he's called us to do. Now, Bridge Church is the ultimate example. We are the ultimate example of what it, we're doing something brand new, something different from the rest of the whole world. We have an opportunity like none other. And I am imploring you for us to be who God has called us to be, for us to be that person, for us to be like Christ. We have to be about telling the world who he is, going into places where no one else will go, accepting people that nobody else will accept, opening ourselves up to relationship with people that we would never be willing to have a relationship with otherwise. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what kind of job that you have. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you live on. It doesn't matter if you have a big house or a small house. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus Christ. Amen. We are bridge. Meaning, we represent Christ, and Christ himself is the bridge to God. We're redeeming people back to God. We're redeeming these evil earthly circumstances. We are redeeming the issues and the trials and the tribulations that people are going through. We're redeeming these things for God's glory and his good. So I want when we get to heaven and we are before him, that we're not asking the question why, we are rejoicing. And he's saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I made you master over a little, just a little. Now, I'll give you a whole lot. Pray with me. Lord God, we just thank you that you have made us redeemers. Christ. We are looking to bring people back to you to make good of circumstances where people don't see hope, of circumstances where people are lost or people are blind in darkness. God, you have called us to be you to the world. And so, Father, I just pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we we'd use all of our being and all of our resources to be exactly who you've called us to be. God, we just thank you uh, in advance for what you are going to do through Bridge Church. And Father, I pray for every single person who is in this place. I pray your blessings on them. I pray that they would know you. I pray that they would open their minds and their hearts. That they would learn to worship you in spirit and in truth, to love you fully and embrace you for who you are. God, as we read your word and as you speak to us, 
day by day, minute by minute, Father, that you're revealing yourself and helping us to see that you are nothing like what the world has taught us, what we've brought to the table for ourselves, that you are holy and righteous and good and merciful and loving and all of that you are. God, we just thank you for who you are. Father, present upon our hearts to know you. This is the life that you have for us, to have a relationship with you. And what better life, what better life to have than to know you, God. So, Father, if there is someone in this place that does not know you, Father, I just pray that you would open eyes and ears, open hearts and minds. Father, I just pray that they would just, just, just fall on their knees and call on your name. For your name alone is mighty to save. Salvation is in your right hand. Righteousness in your other. So, Father, I just thank you. We love you. God, be with us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.